In today's highly competitive mortgage industry, building profitable relationships with real estate agents is essential for success. However, finding effective ways to secure agent relationships can be a challenge. With so many mortgage loan originators vying for the attention of real estate agents, it can be difficult to stand out and establish meaningful connections. Our new case study featuring loan officer Chris Coghill is a must read. Chris has closed a remarkable 36 million in funded loans from agent referrals. And in this case study, he shares his proven strategies for building strong relationships with real estate agents and leveraging those relationships to drive more business. To get your hands on this resource, head over to locastudy.com and download your free copy of the case study today. You'll find actionable insights and practical tips that Chris used to close 36 million in funded loans from agent referrals and how you can too. Don't miss out. Go check it out right now. Visit locastudy.com and download your free copy today. Hey, 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 what is up? This is Jeff Zumfer, your host of the Mortgage Marketing Radio Podcast. Hope you are doing well. Thank you for tuning in. Appreciate you as always. And I wanted to give you guys a couple of uh, points of housekeeping. First and foremost, you may or may not have heard uh, that uh, earlier this year, I released my latest book, which is called Disrupt or Die, How to Survive and Thrive the Digital Real Estate Shift. And with that, there's a few ways that you can use that book to your advantage. Number one, just read it. Because <laughs> if you're looking for ways to survive and thrive the digital real estate shift, it's tons of examples in there from interviews I've done with loan officers and real estate agents and technology professionals and so forth and companies that can help you, right? Make the pivot, make the shift um, to stay relevant um, and not be a fading winner. So if you want to check that out, uh, you can go to disruptordivebook.com. And with the book, uh, let me tell you about a couple of different options. First of all, at disruptordivebook.com, I will pay for the book. That's right. I will pay for the book. Thank you. I know it's exciting stuff. It's like, hey, you're going to pay for that book. You know it. All right. So you just got to pay for shipping. How's that? That's anywhere in the U.S. Um, and it's, I think it's about uh, 10 bucks for a flat fee. You can get that book for $9.95. Um, so that's a good deal. Now, there's multiple ways you can leverage this book. Um, I have some loan officers who are using this book and gifting it to uh, some VIP agents. Some people are actually uh, having a kind of a mastermind monthly over Zoom to go through some of the ideas. Some people actually are using the free material that comes with it, the free companion course that has additional videos, downloads, guest interviews, checklists, and things like that. You wanna invite your agents to that, by the way? go right ahead. Okay. Go right ahead. Um, I would use the book as a conversational piece. You know, for years, we've been talking about sending people books as a gift, as a thank you, as a way to drive a conversation. Why not this book? Okay. So once again, it's disruptordiebook.com. Uh, it's 10 bucks, just pay for shipping, right? Uh, I'll pay for the book, which if you don't want to go that route, go buy it on Amazon for 15 bucks. Um, so that's that. I hope you check that out. And then also, hey, listen, we've got a Facebook group uh, for just the podcast community. yet. If you haven't checked it out yet, head over there to Facebook and just search Mortgage Marketing Radio. It's a group. You have to ask to get in. There are some questions because we don't want any spammers or, you know, people trying to pitch products or things like that. There really are no third party vendors selling you stuff. It is a community of, uh, I think, about 1500 loan officers. 
So there's additional content that goes on in there. We, we live stream in there from time to time. And if you're looking for more good stuff, go check that out there. All right, so let's talk about my special guest this week who I uh, have a tremendous amount of respect for and uh, have been watching her for some time. And she's just a, a leader and a trailblazer in this industry. I'm um, talking about Christine Beckwith, who is the uh, master coach and president of 2020 Vision for Success. So if you haven't heard about Christine, um, I want you to check out the link we put in the show notes to learn more if after you hear um, this interview with Christine, um, visionyoursuccess.net. Um, we have a great conversation about what it takes to be a well-balanced, successful, and by successful, I don't necessarily mean the only definition of that is money, um, but someone who thrives, someone who doesn't sacrifice their personal life and health to uh, be in a business that can sometimes eat you alive. But how do you um, really design a business that supports your life rather than demands everything from you and leaves you nothing left for what really matters in your life. And so I think Christine's got a good handle on that, right? Uh, she'll share her core philosophy. Uh, we're going to talk about some sales tactics. She has that towards the end of this uh, interview. She's got a wonderful um, kind of dialogue, if you will, a script about how to handle great shoppers and so forth. So hang in there, listen to this interview. It's, it's more strategic and vision focused than it is tactical. Um, so I think oftentimes if we don't have the vision, the identity, which we talk about is who do you want to be in this business? Who do you want to be? Right? What is your vision for your, your identity for you as a mortgage professional? What is it? What does that look like when it's played out and how are you going to get there? So I hope you enjoy this interview. And once, I, once again, if you like it, please take time to leave us a review or check out the links in the show notes to learn more about uh, Christine's uh, coaching platform, 2020 Vision for Success. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get into this week's show. Christine Beckwith, welcome to the show. Yay, here First I of am. all, the audience is thrilled. <laughs> They're so glad to have you. <laughs> Yay, I hear them cheering for me. Thanks, audience. They are, they are. And there's a special person who's a real big fan there. So that's your VIP crowd. You know who that is. That's Jason Frazier. No, it is? Is that, is that what he sounds like? Okay. Yes. All right. So listen, fan. how do we introduce Christine Beckwith, master coach and president of 2020 Vision for Success? You've got quite the history in the background. Um, so I'd, even though I did the formal, like, you know, um, mm -hmm. LinkedIn version of here's who Christine yeah. is. Who, who really are you for people that you're serving in the mortgage or real estate space? Wow, that's a deep question. Um, I think I'm a person that wants to help them navigate the waters of their businesses without, you know, making mistakes and, and wandering around in the dark. You know, this, this business is, um, you know, relentless at times. I think it's confusing to start. Um, I think that there's a lot of lack of business, uh, knowledge for people in our field at the lower levels, entry level positions, loan originators. When I started, you know, I didn't have the, the guidebook mm -hmm. that didn't exist. And so you, you do what everybody does when you really want to succeed. You look around for the people that look like they know what they're doing 
and then you emulate what they're doing or you ask questions. And that's really how I found my way. I had a lot of, um, you know, trial and tribulation, but I had fast success and I was able to kind of, you know, I wanted to career success. Not everybody wants to do that. And so I wanted to become a manager out of originations and I did that. And I seemed to have like this endless thirst to, to challenge my heights, I suppose, you know, could I get to the next level and the next level? And so to speak. How old, how old were you when you entered the mortgage space? Yeah. So I was literally 18. I, when I um, went to college in Massachusetts, Framingham state university for uh, sports medicine and nutrition, I took a job um, on a teller line of a small credit union in Massachusetts, but I ended up quickly within like six months taking a position that opened up uh, in the loan department, assisting a female originator. And um, through college, I worked, you know, uh, 25, 30 hours a week, uh, putting myself through school. I started college on scholarship and, um, and yeah, I just, you know, fell in love with the mortgage industry. Interestingly, didn't go into my trade, did my internship, hated it in my, in my chosen field (laughs) and then said, yeah, I want to be a loan originator. And so really jumped in as an, as an LO, um, 21. And, uh, I became a manager at 26, um, between 21 and 26, you know, I was part of an origination team that started with 20 originators, but then was purchased. The company was purchased by several companies over the years. And we would end up in a pool of about 200, originators. And I found my way, you know, I was in the top 10 um, of the 200 pool. And I, I went from the bottom to the top of the 20 pool when it was just the 20 pool. So I knew I was competitive. And I knew that, you know, I, I was wanting to kind of like see what my lengths were. I wasn't ready to be a manager when I got that the first job as a manager, they gave me the label and, um, I didn't know what I was doing and recruiting Mm. was brand new. And so, you know, and I would say that's true about every single thing that I ever did in my, in my 30 years, like every position I got was brand new and, you know, learn as you go, bring what you know and learn as you go situations. Yep. Well, some people, it's interesting if they're in, they're in this industry for a while, they forget about like, and sometimes, um, what really brought them into this in the first place. What was it for you when you're like 21 or whatever, right? You're, you're kind of helping out, interning, shadowing this, this other female loan officer. Um, why were you more attracted to that, to this? What about this industry being a mortgage originator really like hits your buttons? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it, I, I was smart enough to see the financial uh, height ability, you know, mm-hmm. was greater than the chosen profession. I wanted to help people. I had a desire for health and wellness. Um, myself going through college, I became an aerobics instructor and a physical trainer. I would continue along that line through my thirties as an originator and even as a manager for 14 years, I taught 14 hours a week of aerobics and mm. physical training. And so I have that kind of like, I put that to use for myself. Um, background. And I'm still an athlete at 51 years old. I did TRX this morning at eight o'clock. Like I still have a desire to challenge my physical, you know, fitness or whatever. 
you know, so I saw that there was opportunity there. Um, I kind of felt like I'd be good at it. I saw, I really looked up to the, the, and it was really rare that there, it was a woman originator. Um, but I really looked up to her and I just thought, you know, this is something I, I, I could do. I love challenges. Um, and it felt like a challenge to me. And so, you know, so for you, the, the financial aspects of it, like, you know, mortgage planning numbers, all that kind of, that was no, was that any resistance for you? Yeah, no. I mean, I remember thinking I didn't know what I was talking about when I started, you know, like I remember getting a very savvy call that scared the hell out of me from a guy point blank kind of giggling at me because I had the script in my head as a young originator and he was a savvy, you know, multi-investment business owner. And, um, I just remember being really nervous on the call that an economic question was going to come and I, and I wasn't going to know the answer. And I talked to young originators today as a coach about that intersection in my career, because there's nothing worse than, you know, faking it until you make it feeling. Um, And I don't like that saying it's so overused and I don't Mm -hmm. think it's really smart to fake it till you make it. And Mm -hmm. I think now there's a number of resources that we all have that will avoid that intersection. Right. Um, The long and short of it is every time I found myself in a conversation that I was out, you know, witted by the, by the, the clientele would send me. And I just, so you, to put this in perspective, I was an originator in the Worcester Massachusetts market right outside of Boston. Boston has the highest average loan balance in the country. Mm. And so, you know, the clientele in that market were savvy, jumbo, you know, affluent buyers. So I was thrown into the deep end of the pool origination wise, because you could not just talk to a guy that had $2 million to put down on the $6 million house that he was going to buy and fake your way through that conversation. So, Really early on, I had to learn economics, I would say at a level that was probably greater than a lot of loan originators because of that, the Mm. the need. Yeah. So you were basically forced to get better, sharpen your skills, grow your knowledge. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yep. I wonder, I mean, that's such a hallmark I think about because you work with, you see a lot of people come across, you know, your viewpoint here, you've got a pretty wide lens in a similar way that I do like with, with interviews, but with the coaching that you're doing with your organization, um, you see a broad spectrum, I think of like, you know, high level producers, then newbies, and then people middle of the road. And so you probably see at some point, right. I'm, I'm guessing this at some point, people are faced with a decision or a choice. It's like, so, who am I going to be in this industry? Who do I want to be? Do you see that at all? Yeah, I definitely do. I I think that right now, look at all the new people coming in this year. And so they're coming in and I, we, we manage and coach, you know, retail, we, we coach executive level, we coach, you know, origination, branch team, whatever size. Um, And so we see people coming into all channels and yeah, I think they're trying to figure out who they want to be. I think that, you know, they're trying to find their way. We're working with a lot of people that are new to the business right now. And this is exactly why I ended up doing this is that over the years, as I grew into bigger and bigger and bigger positions, I did hire all the coaches, like all the coaches that are currently my competition. They know me really well, all Mm -hmm. of them. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Because at some point I hired them as either my coach or the coach of people that uh, I had in the in the various firms. And so what that did for me is it allowed me to see what was out there for support for people mm-hmm. in our space and in our industry. And over the years, I just started. So I'm, a, I'm an avid writer and I do really uh, well with like capturing systems and you know, uh, process and, and, and that sort of thing, kind of creating organization out of chaos. And so, you know, I, I stopped at parts of my life that sounds so corny, but it's true. And I would record the lessons I learned. And so like my first book that I wrote in 2006, that would not get published till 2018, wise, I see your way to success happened because of like a tragic incident that was occurring in my career, which was the closure of my 12 year job with H&R Block Mortgage. When that firm closed, I was the senior vice president of sales. I was overseeing 1200 sales employees and 900 originators, 210 branch managers and 14 regional directors. And I had grown from an area manager up to that position over 12 years. I had been in that position um, as uh, a vice president of sales for a couple of years. And in the final months, I was the senior vice president, which it was just a hard act. We were tied to Wall Street as H&R Block. We were publicly mm. traded. Mm-hmm. Um, we could not afford to have the mortgage leg of H&R Block lose money, not one month, because the the gravity of that would have been billions of dollars. Right. And so in the boardroom, I was in the boardroom when we made the decision that we were going to just close the mortgage industry down, which is, you know, you build something for 12 years and then it's just, you know, your next act is helping everybody leave the boat, you know, get into a safety boat and, (laughs) you know, play the violin and then you leave, you know? And so that was like the end of that story. And I sat on a beach, I rented a house uh, at home where I grew up, which is Lake Winnipesaukee, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. I had a young baby um, that had been born the previous year and I, I wrote wise eyes sitting on the beach. I had to write, like I was just in the frame of mind. I was hurting. I didn't know really what the next step was. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so I wrote what made me successful, what made me advance, how one thing in reflection and not to brag was that I was advancing faster than the tenured peers that I was with. Mm. And I wanted to kind of understand what that recipe was, because I thought if I could learn how to teach other people to do it, and and I felt like it was a combination of things that I've now written about um, that I call the blueprint for success. And I wish I could rename it sometimes, because I feel like blueprint is a word that's overused. Right, right. But it was new, and it explained kind of what I was doing um, back then. So in a long-winded way, I will tell you that because I stop to write and capture my success. And I would go on from that job and take a job at a boutique shop in Boston overseeing this IT guy's 50 LO shop, which was a fall from, from the height of my job with H&R Block. But everybody was just trying to find solid ground. You know, all that summer, the mortgage meter was running and companies, Merrill Lynch uh. was falling. Like, you know, it was a mess. And I found myself in a boutique, you know, I took the job uh, being the vice president of sales for this small shop that was really, you know, 50 LOs. And then I got a call um, from an old colleague that worked with me at Block, 
who had left years before we closed. And he had started a shop in New Jersey uh, called Village Home Mortgage with this mortgage-backed securities uh, bonds guy, Joe Penabianco, mm. and said, hey, do you want to have dinner? We'd love to pick up your business because they were wholesaling. Um, and then when we had the dinner, they said, do you think your owner would broker a sale so we could pick up your 50 LOs? We know that you, you know, have the bandwidth to help us grow over here. And that's what I did. And then that, that would be the next 12 year journey of my career building Annie Mac home mortgage with, with Joe and Ryan. Yeah. Wow. So a lot of in the, in the trenches, in the field experience. Yep. Mm. So what's different, do you think today for originators coming in, how are you advising them to prepare? Is it the same blueprint or what is it today? Yeah, I think fundamentally it is actually. Um, uh -huh. I think that there are a lot of companies sitting on really weak foundations out there. Uh -huh. um, there's a lot. And when I say companies, I mean, you know, there's lots and lots and lots and lots of branches um, that are running themselves, you know, thin that, you know, don't scale properly that don't, you know, do fundamental things in their businesses. So, you know, what I, what we do is we literally take LOs and we build the foundation. Every person that comes to us has to start. So let's say I get a senior vice president. We have a lot of executives that coach with us. And let's say somebody calls me and they're a senior vice president and they have 500 people reporting to them. They are literally going to be put through the same process as the guy that calls me that says, I've never written a mortgage. Can you train me how to do mortgages? Because the very first thing we need to do is really cement the foundation of the business they're going to build on. So they may be operating from a business plan, but they're going to fill my blueprint for success business plan out. And we're going to dissect this thing and put it back together. I, what I've done is created a, a team of coaches. So coaching is kind of a, a funny word because it's it implies a lot of things. For me, we're kind of like a hospital for businesses. So there's a curriculum you follow, but then we have the pharmacy. So like if you're coming to me and you're saying as Jeff, you know, I'm great with my PL, but I have issues with time management, or I'm we're really profitable and productive, but my wife's ready to leave me because all I do is work. So mm -hmm. I called the company vision for success because I feel that every person's vision for success is different. Mm -hmm. And so how do you become, you know, that hospital for businesses where if your knee hurts, I'm giving you that medicine, but if you have an earache, I'm giving you that medicine. And instead of being like, here, this is who I am as a coach. And do exactly what I did to be successful and you'll be successful. That's not what we do here. Mm. You know, I know I had success, but I really feel like I've made a school now of business. And so right away, everybody has to do curriculum. So everybody's doing curriculum in the background. Mm -hmm. They're doing two courses a month over 12 months for 24 certifications in business fundamentals and sales skills. And it goes from economics to marketing, to prospecting, to scaling. There's EQ classes in there. Obviously the basics, time management, um, business planning. And then it moves beyond into more complex areas of marketing. Um, they're going to get looked at by a financial forensics coach who's going to examine their business analytics. Um, Andy Tabag, Andy Tabag actually was with me at H&R Block. He was the just under the CFO. And he was with me at Annie Mac and he helped us do our forecasting there. And today he's my 
a financial forensics coach here. So literally helps professionals forecast, analyze their P&Ls, their business models. You know, we look for trends. We look, you know, we lay out roadmaps for them on forward metrics, activity metrics. And we really run people's businesses with advice exactly like we're an executive banking firm mm. that you have come and plugged your car into our chipboard and we're going to tell you where the car is not operating right mm. and then kind of help you get that car up to top speed whatever direction you're trying to drive it huh so we have a lot of people new coming in the industry um we've got of course the average age of an lo i think today is right around that of a realtor right like 55 ish yeah kind of stuff. In I know my, nothing about that age group. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, me neither, man. <laughs> I, keep, I keep moving neighborhoods. Um, <laughs> I just got my AARP card last year and I threw it in the trash. I'm in denial. We'll see if they send me another one this year. Same, same thing I did. There's no way. <laughs> if the handbag, the tote bag was worth it, maybe I might do that, right? <laughs> that thing's pretty handy though. I was like, they're really innovative. The the backseat uh, tchotchke grabber for your right. car. Right. I mean, someone put a lot of thought into that. that? There's That's, a lot of people listening, Jeff, that don't know what the hell we're talking about. Yeah, I know. They're like, what do you, right what's now? ARP? Just wait. Resident? You have yeah, to wait to wait. get our age to get that privilege. You should be proud to get it, is what you should be. <laughs> that means you've got wisdom and experience. Uh, exactly. What's that old saying? You know this. We love these kind of cliche sayings. <laughs> wisdom. How do you get wisdom? Experience. How do you get experience? Make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so true, isn't it? So, so. Like I said, what I here's what I wanted to kind of pull out of you, right? Because I think yeah. there's value to somebody who has um, a wide lens, and you've seen a wide lens both in your career and your history, but now what you're doing with 2020 Vision for Success. And by the way, we'll put links in the show notes to all this for people who want to learn more about your coaching platform. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, like li people listening right now. There's people in various places, like you said, it's various issues that they struggle with, right? Um, What's it, I hate to ask a question of like, what's the biggest thing, the number one, but do you see yeah. patterns? You know what I yeah. mean? What are yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, definitely this year, um, I felt that I'm always looking at the tide, I suppose, in our business. So say we're in March, the question changed, the answer to your question changed over the, the year. Mm. Um, you know, in March, I felt like our industry, you know, I'm, I'm a metaphor queen, was like a boat that hit this massive wave. Mm -hmm. You know, we had, we pre-pandemic, right. I mean, let's go back to the first week of March. The first week of March, you had the margin calls happening, right? Yeah, right. So we were, we were lending 600 times the amount of business and uh, the risk assessment by Ginny May and, and, and all the investors was that, that they were starting to do margin calls. The feds lowered the interest rate to zero on a Sunday, right. uh, the week before we declared a national pandemic. So we were already, you know, non-QM lenders were falling. So there was some volatility economically happening. So what did I, what did I think the number one problem was then? I felt like when I looked around at the people coaching with us, that everybody was, was scared. Like I saw the whites yeah. of the eyes of a lot of mortgage people going, what is happening? I, we right. had non-QM teams here that were getting shut down. Um, it, it was a small percentage of the people we were managing, but you know, what's your act as a coach when 
ultimately a company is closing, it's to go sit with them. Like, you know, there's nothing else you can do at that point. There's no life-saving advice that can be rendered, but you can sit with the person that has to go through that and let them know it's going to be okay. And, and share your story of, you know, my, my 2006, which made no sense to me when it was happening would end up lending me the greatest lessons of my career. Mm. You know, my ability to, I didn't think I had another run in me to do an Annie Mac post H&R Block mortgage. I didn't think I had a 2020 in me after doing Annie Mac. Um, And so it's kind of like, I'm here to say to that person, you will live to fight another day. You know, Mm. today's a bad day. I get it. And today's a sad day. And I say, you sit with that sadness. You know, I'm a firm believer that we should not try to go around conflict, mm. but, you know, work obviously through go through it and work mm-hmm. through it and process mm-hmm. it. And so that was March. So what did I do in March? I had Barry Habib come on. I did tons of Facebook lives. I just put as much economic news as I could out because I knew everyone needed it right now. They needed to know where to go. What was their foothold? What do I say to the consumer? And I just, I'm going to tell you, I cried at my bathroom sink. I don't mind admitting this. Mm -hmm. The third week in March, I woke up and I was getting ready to come into my work studio. And there was just this eeriness. It's the sound of the boat when the lights go out on the Titanic. We were immobile as a country for the first two weeks. Mm -hmm. And it was just that, like, there's no cars on the road. Right. Like, you know, and I have to go to work today and am I going to lose this company? Like, am I going to lose 2020 in the midst of this storm Mm. or am I going to show up and be the lighthouse? Like, and I chose that day to be the lighthouse, but that did not come without my own personal fears. Mm. I was standing at the sink, my boyfriend, we have a double sink and my boyfriend was standing next to me of 14 years who is magnificent and he legitimately looked at me and that's all he needed to do. I'm one of those people, don't ask me how I am. If I am if I look sad, just assume I'm sad. Don't ask me if I'm sad because uh-huh. that'll make me think and feel sorry for myself. And he was just like, are you okay? Because I look tired and I was tired because of everything that was going on. And I just, it made me burst into tears and I had my moment. And for a few minutes, I just let myself have that moment. And I just, from that moment and never from that moment on, I just came downstairs that day and I said, I'm going to talk to every single person I can, and I'm just going to let them know we're going to be okay. And I did more live Zooms than we've ever done since for the next foreseeable eight weeks. And during that time, I just wanted people to know that they could come here and they did, if they did nothing other than sit on the Zoom and just talk. And that's what we did. We spent hours and hours with professionals that just were coming on And they were like, in their lives, forget about their businesses, in their lives, they were trying to figure out where they they would be. So, Mm. you know, that was then. Today, I'm trying to prepare people to look at the core part of their business, which is real estate and purchase, and Mm -hmm. not forget it, because we've been distracted by this refi tidal wave, and it will dry up at some point, and the victors will go to those people that maintain some semblance of that core business. So, you know, we do real estate webinars every month and we open them publicly for all of the people coaching with us to invite their realtors. And so what that allows them to do is have at least a once a month place where they're offering something of value to their realtors. 
They get to connect with them. They get to bring them into our webinars, give them something. We make the, the topics very, like last month was self-imposed stress to how to overcome self-imposed stress. This coming month, it's the cavern between planning and execution. Um, and it's basically, you know, the lack of implementation, you know, where we fail to implement. And so these high, we call these high EQ and they're very attractive to professionals. They want to learn about these techniques and they, and they're coming. So I guess I try to make it pliable enough, you know, where I'm inserted, you know, I have one class a month I teach. And then what's happening the rest of the day is I've got 12 coaches that are group coaching and independently coaching. And then I have executive accounts that I'm in, of course, but I'm popping in and out of Zoom rooms. It might be a team that's coaching with somebody else. I think everybody just needs to be aware of economics. You need to have a strong foundation. You need to really have a plan looking down the road. Um, and all of this sounds really boring and vanilla. Yeah, but it's not bright, shiny, sexy, all that. It's not. But what is sexy is when you run a sound business mm -hmm. and you don't fall apart because things get a little rocky or you can't see ahead of you where the landscape of your runway is going. Mm. And I so, think we are going to take a turn. I think we are going to take a turn in the next year a little bit. What do you mean take a turn? Where are we I going? mean, I don't <laughs> think it's going to stay on this straight refi line is all. Oh, I, well, I don't, you know. I'm sure you saw the NBA numbers, right? Where they're talking yeah. about the drop off in refis is 56%, I think. Yeah. Re reduction in refis and purchases is going to grow 3%. I mean, just to put that in context, we're still going to have a few trillion bucks worth of, yeah. you know, total originations, but let's just face it, right? Uh, there's yeah. the refi bandwagon is it's still moving. Slowing. Yes. But yeah, slowing down, there's less people getting on that bus. So to your point and what you guys do at 2020 vision, for success and hopefully what we're giving some people awareness about is like you said uh, well number one awareness that's why i love i mean are your glasses of your logo because it's you or is that also tied into it's about vision yeah both, both. uh you know i think they're symbolic you know how do i become a piece right. of the logo a little bit that ties me into me but at the same time you know the vision i i, I coined you know i got the website in 2006 vision your six uh, for your mm. success and i did not have the wherewithal to think of 2020 i'm going to tell you that didn't come into view for me pun intended until like somewhere in the beginning of 2019 when i was like everyone's like next year's 2020 and i'm like oh no kidding <laughs> like you know and and then it seemed really fun and cool as the year got on and every, it was the overused phrase. People were like, I hope you copyright that. And I'm like, well, you can't copyright a phrase. 2020 vision for success is a phrase. Right. Um, of course, my company's trademark. No, there can be no other 2020 vision for success coaching and consulting. That's fine. That's protected. But I can't be mad at people that chose the phrase. In fact, I felt like that shone a nice light on us until this year came and then, <laughs> and then I'm like, I don't want to be 2020 right. anymore because 2020 doesn't. Um, yeah. But I, I think people understand vision, yeah. seeing 2020. I get that. So it's yeah. only like 14 years in the making this thing, right? That's it. Well, I'm truly the person that you could emulate and know that a dream, you know, can become something. And all my books talk about my childhood dreams mm. becoming reality through my career and my breaking the cycle book that came out a year ago 
was my first like tell all of my life with another little girl on the street that I grew up with, which was really, really poor. In fact, the back of the book is filled with pictures of us on that street as little girls, Oh wow! you know, and it is, she became a world renowned doctor. And if you would have ever guessed that, really? you know, side by side on this street, two of us out of eight of us could have gone to the lengths, you know, that we have it, it's basically, we wrote that book for young adults so that they understand that your beginnings do not define you. Mm. No obstacles are too great um, to get where you're going. And I still believe that today, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think what's exciting about you and what I love about a story like yours, and then of course what you're doing for individuals, regardless of the industry, is something that's, I think, personal for any of us who try and do what we do here, which is have a platform with our intent of this platform is because we want to in some way make a difference. Mm -hmm. um, I know that may sound cheesy or cliche no. to some, but it's true. Not to me. Uh, I mean, you know, when I think about why did I start this podcast five years ago, it's because I, something was missing. There was, like you said earlier, there was no quote playbook. There was, we didn't have the stuff. When I started in 2003, we didn't have all the tools and resources. And so how do I succeed as a mortgage originator? Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's like, sometimes you just have that DNA where that's just part of you that you want to, you know, help, help somebody up, extend your hand and help them up. You know, yep. and if you can, if you can build a business around that, great. Awesome. And I think LOs have a unique opportunity to do that by helping people up, extending a hand, if they approach this the right way of uh, that's why I wanted to talk about like vision and mindset, which you've done mm -hmm. so eloquently. When I asked you that question, how do you see yourself? Um, what I'm getting to is this, I guess this final little cap to this sure, sure. <laughs> rant is I'm uh, with you hundred percent. Keep going. <laughs> is, is how do, I think it starts with that's I'll go back to your title. It starts with vision. Cause I know when I, a lot of people see themselves as a salesperson in this mm. job. Mm -hmm. And, and do you, number one, do you think that's appropriate? and or what would you advise if that's kind of how they see their role right now? Yeah. So I struggled with th thinking I was a salesperson and I definitely don't teach sales. So mm -hmm. what's interesting is our school is called the Sales Acceleration Success Solution, SAS, mm -hmm. and we teach a ton of sales tactics. Sure. But I really feel like, you know, one of the classes we teach is how to take a client from the rate inquiry uh, to the start of a conversation and all the way through them, you know, engaging with you and, and taking an application. And it seems the impossible feat to a new mortgage loan officer, because if somebody says, I got three and a quarter down the street, what's your rate? Mm. You know, a new originator is looking at their rate sheet, trying to see if they can beat it. Right. And so we begin to talk about what is your reality as a person? So do I see myself as a salesperson? I have to, I had to lie to myself in the beginning of my career because I hate the sound. I, I don't like being sold. I often have told that a story when I was building a bookshelf for my son that I went to Sears for a tool that I needed and I didn't know what the tool looked like. I had a description of it and I had a salesperson walk up, many, there was a whole bunch of sales guys at Sears sitting around the lawnmower section. <laughs> and they walked up to me and said, can I help you? And I automatically knee jerk said, no, I'm all set. I'm yep. just looking. But that was a complete lie. I wasn't just looking. I needed a tool and I needed a specific one. And I, and here's the funny part. I needed help. 
But I ended up wandering around looking for this thing, ultimately not finding it, going back to the most friendly of the three faces that had talked to me and asking them for help. And they directly brought me to the right thing and all this time was saved. And I remember leaving and reflecting like what a jerk I am. And then I thought, well, I'm not a jerk. I just wanted to control the situation. Mm. And that was an epiphany for me. And I teach that in sales. People want to control their own transactions. So I don't care if you get a person whose grandfather has given them ultimately bad financial advice. Don't buy points, get the best rate you know, all of these things, which sounds great on the surface of financial inquiry, but our jobs is to determine the financial risk assessment of a client. And I'm going to bet all day long that my competition hasn't done a thorough job. So if somebody comes to me with a rate inquiry and says, I, uh, you know, I'm getting a three quarter, three and a quarter, you know, quote down the street, what is your interest rate? I'm going to dissect the rate quote to start, and then I'm going to go straight into my risk assessment. So I will not say, oh, I'll answer that in a minute and be all scripty or, oh, it depends or any of that jazz. I literally say when they gave you that three and a quarter percent interest rate, had they reviewed your income and your assets and your FICO score from your credit report and uh, your money down and all these things, um, what kind of you know, inquiry or what kind of mm. uh, qualifications were done to give you that rate. And the person, listen, if you're dealing with someone savvy, maybe even a homeowner, multiple time homeowner, they might say, no, they didn't, you know, they didn't ask that. I just asked for an interest rate. And, and so I'm going to say without insulting the person, because you're never going to win the battle in sales that you insult the client. But I would say, oh, okay. So you got a teaser ad quote. You, mm. you basically got a, the best on the rate sheet quote, and they don't know what you financially qualify for. Okay. So I'm going to give you a rate that beats three and a quarter, but I can't promise it to you because I'm going to tell you right now that that rate is going to also be unqualified. Yeah. If you want the real rate qualified, then we can dig into the questions I just said, and then I'll actually give you a rate that you can count on actually being there on paper. Mm. Would you like to go through those questions with me? And if they say no, I say, okay, then three and an eighth is my rate. And I don't even look at my rate sheet <laughs> because all I'm saying to them at that point is, you know, doesn't matter. I can, yeah, doesn't matter because you don't care yeah. because you took the three and a quarter rate and called me and told me that. So, you know, LOs will look at that conversation and it takes, I realized that took time for me to get the confidence up to do that. And then I do a little bit of a lesson and I just say, in 2008, the government came in and rewrote loan origination compensation law, which prohibits us from profiting from the quote of an interest rate. So Mr. Smith, you're in luck because I can't make money off quoting you an interest rate anymore. So what I will tell you is if you're getting a far better interest rate down the street, that those monies that the company is allowed to make are somewhere in that fee sheet that I can't see that you probably have or may not have. But when I give you my rate quote, I'm going to give you the rate, which is part of the price of what you're paying. I'm going to give you the fees, which are going to be in the finance of your loan. I'm going to tell you the maximum amount you can borrow so you can see if any of that money is going to actually help you get in a better financial position. And then I'll happily compare that to the deal that you're getting. But if you're only looking at rate, you're missing about 80% of the financial picture and the deal that you're looking at. So is that salesy or is that trusted advisor 
educated, economic informing of whatever. So that's what I teach. I teach mm. mortgage professionals how to speak intelligently about yeah. the products we serve. There's a lot in there, by the way. That that was like a mini lesson right there. All right, there and, you go. And, so and we gave the, the audience a nugget of realness, real yeah, lesson stuff. Rewind this, jot rewind. it down. <laughs> No, I'm serious. There's so much in there. I mean, one from the from the get go, I think all, all loan officers that are dealing with the rate conversation need a a rate differentiation statement. Yeah, that that takes that person off their pattern, interrupts the pattern. Um, yep. and, and you gave a few examples of that. Plus, then what you did was you repositioned to basically say, here's why here's how I'm different. Right. I'm not just going to quote that, right, that rate fee sheet, blah, 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 without completely understanding your financial situation. So we can ultimately pick the best loan situation that's right for you. Essentially, that's kind of the same thing you said. But the mm -hmm. point of this is for those that are listening in the sales discussion, most people are ill prepared uh, when that question comes. Yeah. And so then totally. they fumble and dumble and they feel they have to quote rate instead of you don't have to quote a rate. You just need a better response. Yeah. And there's only one person that has the best interest rate. And I don't know who it is, but it's never <laughs> been me. It's never been me in 32 years. I've never had the best interest rate. I've never worked for a company and that isn't dogging the companies I worked for, but I've never worked for a company that had the best interest rate. Wow. And um, we're all competing on, on, on some level, but I put faith in the fact that if I make educated loan officers that give good advice, good sound financial advice. They are going to win sales by being smart enough to mm -hmm. educate their borrowers on what's best for them. And that is legit and it's in line with what they should be doing. And it really isn't salesy. I think trust wins sales. I think right. knowledge wins sales. Yep. And so I'm in the business of creating knowledge and, and uh, experience and listen, we are, you know, this week I got on a call and all I did for 90 minutes with 60 new loan officers was go through a HUD. I had a HUD on a Zoom and I talked each fee, how you explain, how to warn people that the APR is different from the note rate, understanding what mortgage insurance premium is, like literally teaching them the definitions of how to explain, because these things are the deal breakers. When they can't explain their LSE to the client, they're not going to be able to mm. uh, win that transaction. And so these sound like silly little lessons, but they become huge, you know, differentiators in the world that we live in. I wouldn't buy from somebody that couldn't properly explain, you know, things for me. And so it's kind of like, here's your gun, let's dismantle the gun and put it back together because, you know, if I'm going to send you into war, yeah. I need you to be really good with this gun. You need to be able to take this thing apart, put it back together, get the ammo in it. Let we'll worry about shooting it later. Yeah. You know, that is not the problem right now. Like so many firms that are out there that are not trusting experts to teach their mortgage originators how to be the best gunslingers is because they're taking them to shooting ranges. And all they're doing is saying, shoot this thing, but they haven't taught them safety. They haven't taught them why or when they should pull the trigger. And all of the things in the peripheral of carrying that gun that really, in my opinion, matter more than their ability to shoot. You know, yeah. pulling a trigger is is easy, but like understanding the timing, understanding all of those other things become really, really, mm. really important. And yeah, I have that's... a passion for this. Like, I feel like I, listen, I left a really expensive uh, job 
to do this. And, and a lot of people thought I was nuts when I announced my retirement from mortgage and said I was going to go build a coaching company. First of all, everybody thought, oh, great, another coach, just what we need, number mm -hmm. one. Number two, I think everybody thought, why would you do that if everything's hunky-dory and you're making a lot of money and you work to get to this place? And at some point in your life, all human beings say, I want to live in my gift that God yeah. gave me. I'm a faithful person, and I believe that God made me a teacher. I think he made me that way at one year old. You know, I can remember being little and helping and teaching and wanting to write, read, talk and do these things. And I've been spending my entire life accidentally in a career that had teaching capabilities. And I found my way to spend my days this way. And you know what? I have endless amounts of energy because of it. Um, my ROI is happiness and fulfillment. The money is subsequent to those two things. And my father told me if I drive from a place that is purpose-filled for people, that God would provide for me. And he has provided for me in plentiful ways, mm. money being one of them, Sure. but not because that's been my focus, but right. because it's been the peripheral effects of a greater focus. Money's just an outcome, really, right? Mm -hmm. Um, in a variety of different ways. That's awesome. Thank you for taking us on this journey. Uh, I want to applaud you for living your true gift and vision and having the courage to step into that role. I want to buy the two signs behind your head for my <laughs> office. I'm just letting you know. You can't see it on the podcast. Success in a straight line arrow. And yeah. then there's a success sign with like a screwy arrow all the it's, way around. It's, that's the reality <laughs> right there. It's all over the place. All right. So listen, I want to close this out because we're, okay. we're tight on time. And then there's usually... What I started doing was asking these, uh, you might want to get these, these pod decks. And so oh, um, it's, okay. it's, it's a thing of questions to mix it up a little bit when you're oh, talking yeah. to people. Here, let me okay, that is very we, cool. We, we do have people watch the video, I love but that. Um, here's the thing. So I try and pick three questions in advance who I, that I think might resonate with who you are. Um, so let me, and, and these can be fun or whatever. Um, all right, let me, let me, <laughs> let me try two of these. <laughs> here we go, here we go. <laughs> If there was a sandwich named after you, what would be on it? <laughs> oh, um, gosh, that's tough. I, I, oh my God, I'm laughing thinking of anything. I think I'd be a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Really? Okay. Yeah. All right. Because I think I, I think I, I don't know. You know what's good about peanut like butter and jelly? I have like fun, like I have you associate a very, fun to it. Yeah. Well, I have a fun like aspect to myself where I think. Like when I'm not having to be serious, anyone, anyone that goes to a convention with me wants to sit next to me because I am a fool yeah. in the audience. I know. Like Remember I am that? one we of those people that will laugh and yeah. get everyone around me laughing. And so that's kind of my person. For me, when you say PB&J, what I think about like that is, is that's a sandwich you can always count on. Yes. It always delivers. And it's old fashioned. It's dependable and nobody ever gets sick of it. Right. <laughs> All right. Here's, here, here's the last one. Uh, which band or artist dead or alive would play at your funeral? Oh, I think I would, it would be Steven Tyler, you know, I'm from really? Boston. Mm -hmm. He uh, grew up in a little town right above where my home has been for many uh, decades now and uh, seen him in concert a ton. I love what he stands for, you know, the heart of that music. Um, nice. Of course, home of the Boston Marathon and he mm -hmm. uh, played a huge role in, uh, you know, helping raise money in the wake of that and stuff. Yeah, so exactly. Comes to mind. 
Yeah. For sure. And by the way, for those who can't Dream see, on. Dream on. Dream on. That's your song? So I here's feel my, like you should play that in the background too, coming out of this this podcast. You're going to have to overlay oh, Dream I'm, On. We're gonna, I'm going to cut end. it in. I'll cut yes. it in. But you can see I got my Patriots glass. Uh, mm. Yeah. So I love the Patriots. That's you know, I'm me. from New England too. You are? Did I know that? I don't know if I knew that. I think you might have I, Yeah, that. I may have forgotten that. Yes, I loved the Patriots for the 35 years they lost in my life. And right. I love them even more for the 20 years that they've yeah, been winning. Let's not forget, they weren't always a winning, but they've been quite That's the dynasty. That's correct. All right, so listen, for those who want to reach out to Christine, we're going to put links in the show notes, but visionyoursuccess.net to yes. go learn more. She's got all kinds of free stuff. Check her out. Set up a yes. call if you're interested in learning more about her coaching services because clearly she knows what she's talking about. Christine Beckwith, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. You bet. Listeners, hey, you know what to do. If you like this episode, uh, please leave us a review. We always appreciate you tuning in, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye for now. Bye, everyone. Hey guys, what's up? Real quick, uh, you've heard about the Mortgage Marketing Pro membership before, and I just want to quickly remind you if that you're in a place in your business where you simply need more purchase loans, you need to fill your pipeline with purchase business, let's just face it, agents are still a solid pillar of business and sources of purchase business for you. Well, good news. Our Mortgage Marketing Pro membership helps loan officers like you close more loans without the hassle of chasing agents or cold calling. Done-for-you agent classes, expert training videos, a marketing automation platform that automates the entire process for you, everything you need to build your personal brand in your local market, attract and convert agents into referral partners, plus done-for-you proven marketing materials and plug-and-play content to make promoting your class, getting agents butts and seats, partnering with affiliates real easy. But that's not all. You'll also get access to our weekly mastermind calls with top LOs, authors, speakers, and coaches to learn the best strategies to grow your business right now in today's market. And as an extra bonus for a limited time, for all new members, you'll get access to a database of 200 agents in your local market that have closed anywhere to, from eight to 50 transactions in the last 12 months. And we'll provide that list uploaded into our platform for you so you can get off to a fast start in reaching actually productive agents. So what are you waiting for? You can check out more at mortgagemarketing.pro, see more of the success stories there. And if you feel compelled to do so, book a call. We'll have a chat. We'll see if it's a fit. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your mortgage business to the next level right now. Head over to mortgagemarketing.pro.